The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 203. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. Also, go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. Give me the email address and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook read by yours truly. You get on my email list, which I don't overburden you with, but uh, you do get an email from me every now and then. You can support the Brian McClanahan Show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. Those that do enroll get the best deals on new classes, and I do have a new class coming out in the spring. But I do have five classes available for purchase. You can do that and help support the Brian McClanahan Show. You can also support the Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. That is Brian with an O, B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. And you can always get your Brian McClanahan Show gear by going to redbubble.com. Just do a search for my name. You got all this apparel and other things that have my logo on it. And of course... Go to my Liberty Classroom affiliate link, LearnTrue, T-R-U-E, history.com, and you can support the show that way. So lots of great ways to support the show. Lots of great ways to find me teaching online. you got McClanahan Academy. you got Learn True History. And, of course, you've got this podcast. Also want to mention, if you're watching this podcast or listening to this podcast uh, episode before January 29th, on January 29th, I'm doing a cross-platform live Jefferson Seminar on Albert Taylor Bledsoe's Is Davis a Traitor? So we're going to cover that book in four sessions starting January 29th, four weeks in a row. We're going to do it on Tuesday night, 8 o'clock. I know this Tuesday, the 29th, we've got the State of the Union maybe coming up at 9 o'clock, and that's actually the topic of the day for this particular episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. But you can get me at 8 o'clock talking about Albert Taylor Bledsoe, and who knows, maybe something else. I mean, we'll see. But it's right now it's, it's scheduled on... January 29th, 8 o'clock. All you got to do is have the link for it. If you like my Facebook page, if you follow me on Twitter, if you like the Abbeville Institute Facebook page, I'm going to post a link out there. It's going to be through my YouTube account. If you've subscribed to me on YouTube, you're going to get it. You're going to get the live link uh, information. So all you got to do is have that. Get over there, and we're going to go through the book. Uh, the first day is the first four chapters of the book, and you can get this free online. Just do a search, Google Books. Uh, you can get the uh, full version of the book for free because it was... Uh, uh, published in 1866, so it's in public domain, which is great. So read the first four chapters. We'll cover it. We'll go over it, and then we'll we'll cover another section the next time. It's going to be a lot of fun. And again, free online. All you got to do is come on and watch. You can chat. Uh, we can ask questions. So it'll be a great time. This is something we're trying. So uh, it's a good it's a good uh, opportunity for you to learn a little bit about the Constitution and uh, Bledsoe's view of treason and secession. Uh, that said, also, I do the Abbeville Institute podcast on Fridays as well. So if you want to get me three times a week for a podcast, uh, you can go and get that Abbeville Institute podcast. And um, that's also a, it's it's my southern podcast, right? So I do everything that's focusing on the south there. Okay, well, I want to talk about the State of the Union situation uh, and discuss a couple of different perspectives here and what's going on. And so uh, I've I've been on record saying the State of the Union Address needs to be delivered in a written statement to the Congress because that was the most um, Republican, lowercase r, thing to do. 
I've gone on record stating this several times in books, articles. I've, I've been very clear about my position on the State of the Union. And, uh, of course, this particular process that we have now, um, the idea the president gives the State of the Union in person, on television or on radio, that in, the, the mass media part of it didn't start till Franklin Roosevelt. Um, but from Jefferson until Wilson, the State of the Union address was always delivered. It was called the annual message, and it was always delivered in written form to the Congress, and then the Congress read it, and then they could have discussion about it, or that was it. They could do whatever they wanted with it. Before that, you had the annual message delivered in person by both George Washington and John Adams to the Congress. And Jefferson believed the smack of monarchy, that it was uh, something that the, the president should not do in a Republican system. And looking at the Constitution, I'm going to read Section 3 of Article 2, which gets into the state, what we call the State of the Union now, or the annual message. It doesn't say a whole lot about this and how this thing should be done. So you had Washington with a precedent and Adams, and then Jefferson changes that. And then, of course, everyone followed that because Americans are generally Jeffersonian in their view of the central government. They just don't realize it, but they are. At least, I think, until the last half of the 20th century, when we haven't become very Jeffersonian in our view of the central government. So you've got that perspective that uh, the president should not deliver the State of the Union in person whatsoever. And I, I've been on record for saying this is what we should be doing. The president should not deliver the State of the Union address in person. It shouldn't be a grand media event. None of that stuff should happen. And I still firmly subscribe to that position except in this one particular case. And I'm going to explain why I don't subscribe to that position in 2019 for this one particular State of the Union. And uh, the, the purist in me says, yeah, I mean, just go ahead and deliver it written, give it to the Congress, they can read it. Uh, there, is a, there is kind of a halfway house here that could be done uh, if the president sincerely wanted to get on and push his agenda, which, again, having his agenda is completely alien to the Constitution. But uh, in this particular case, um, there's a reason why I think, I think, the president should go on and do the State of the Union address uh, on television, just like uh, it's been done since Franklin Roosevelt or, you know, for the mass media part of it, for this particular uh, State of the Union. Now, two things I want to discuss the Constitution itself, an, an NPR article about the State of the Union, and then, of course, my thoughts on everything. Okay, so I've given you kind of a, a preview of what I'm going to say. But first and foremost, let's read Article 2, Section 3 of the United States Constitution that addresses the annual message or what we now know as the State of the Union. Article 2, Section 3 says this, quote, He shall from time to time give to the Congress information of the State of the Union, and recommend to their consideration such measures as she shall judge necessary and expedient. He may on extraordinary occasions convene both houses, or either of them, and in case of a disagreement between them with respect to the time of adjournment, he may adjourn them to such time as he shall think proper. He shall receive ambassadors and other public ministers, he shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed, and shall commission all the officers of the United States. So that gets into the State of the Union. First part, he shall from time to time give to the Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. 
It doesn't say when he has to give this thing. He doesn't say how he has to give it. He doesn't say he can do it twice, two, three times a year if he wants to. Shall from time to time. It doesn't say what he has to say in this. He shall give to Congress information of the State of the Union. Now, Wilson, like Teddy Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, who even though he delivered a written message, and the NPR piece gets into this, they do a pretty good job explaining the history of this, but uh, Teddy Roosevelt thought that the State of the Union, the annual message, should be there to push an agenda because Roosevelt was an active, aggressive president when it came to a legislative agenda. Now, he wasn't the first president to kind of have a legislative agenda, but he was the first to really use the State of the Union to bully that legislative agenda, to, to try to ram it into the Congress. And Wilson viewed himself as more of a prime minister anyways, and so he thought the president should wade down into the legislative arena. He should be involved in everything. That was the idea of having the State of the Union delivered in person. That would then be Wilson as prime minister. And, of course, uh, that was it suited the progressives because they believed the president was the leader of all the people. The president had a legislative agenda. The president was chief legislator. And if you go out and you read your modern political science government textbooks, they're going to tell you one of the jobs of president is chief legislator of the United States. I taught uh, an American government class for years at the college level. And that was in the textbooks I, I had to use. That was one of the president's chief legislators. I had to go over this. All right, well, let's go to this section of the textbook and let's dis let's discuss the chief legislator. Of course, I completely ripped that notion apart, but this is what people firmly believe. And this is the part of Article 2, the section of Article 2, that supposedly gives the president this type of power. Now, I go over all of this, just a quick plug. I go over all of the wrong-headed views of this in my American Constitutions class at McClanahan Academy. You've got this all there. I mean, if you really want to go into detail in this stuff, and I do, go to mclanahanacademy.com, enroll in that American Constitutions class, and you'll get my views on the American executive in much more detail. But this is kind of your free preview here. So, um, But it doesn't say, it's, presidents generally just listed all the things that were happening. Okay, we've done this, this is the budget, these are the things we spent. These are the, That was how the president interpreted, give to the Congress information of the State of the Union. Now, he could make recommendations. I think we should do this. I think we should do this. And the Congress could say, yeah, okay, whatever, President. We're not doing any of that stuff. We have our own agenda. But Roosevelt and then Wilson thought that the State of the Union, the annual message, was a good way to force or push a legislative agenda. Now, uh, Harding delivered the annual message in person. Uh, Coolidge didn't. I think Coolidge did once and then didn't. And then Hoover didn't. But beginning with Franklin Roosevelt in person with a media blitz. I mean, essentially in Coolidge, uh, act, I'm sorry, Coolidge did one time. Coolidge um, gave one message and he used the, the radio to do it. Uh, and then uh, Hoover didn't. And then Franklin Roosevelt goes into the media blitz that we see today. This is this, this is the grand event. Of course, Franklin Roosevelt, known as King King of Franklin, or uh, you know King King Roosevelt, right? This is uh, he was a monarchical president with, without any question. Franklin Roosevelt was that. So the State of the Union was a great way to push his legislative agenda. You know, the New Deal, uh, whatever programs he was looking at at the time, the Second Bill of Rights, all of that stuff was uh, the was the push for the president and having this 
this bully pulpit, as Teddy Roosevelt called it, was a great opportunity for the president to do that. So, can the president, uh, or is the president constitutionally required to give the State of the Union January 29th, the end of January every year? No. No. The president's not required to do that. So now we have this sparring between Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump over the State of the Union. And uh, according to Nancy Pelosi, the, the House has to invite the president into the chamber to deliver the State of the Union. Now, that's partly true and partly not true. Uh, the president um, can't just show up. However, the president, according to Article 2, Section 3, can convene on extraordinary occasions both houses or either of them. He can convene them. Now, it doesn't say when he convenes them, he shows up in person to do it. But if you want to have a loose interpretation of the Constitution, you could say, well, I mean, this means he can show up in person. He can convene both houses or just the house and say, here I am. Let's talk. He could theoretically do this. Uh, So the president to be invited, I mean, this is our parliamentary British view of government, that the president... Uh, is only invited by the House. I mean, this is if if the Queen, for example, wants to make a speech to Parliament, um, she has to have the House of Lords. This is a big part of the ceremony. The House, the uh, one of the uh, the House of Lords will go ask the House of Commons to attend the Queen's speech, and the House of Commons slams the door in the House of Lords' face, and then eventually they open the door and they walk over. That's because uh, Charles the First. Uh, ran into the House of Commons, you know, barged into the House of Commons, dragged physically dragged some members out, or at least attempted to, and this was one of the reasons why he was eventually beheaded because he was acting, uh, uh, he was violating tradition and believing that he had the authority to go into the House of Commons and do this. And the House of Commons said, "No, you don't." And so they eventually arrested the king and, of course, uh, convicted him of, of treason and executed him. So that kind of this ceremony where the House has to invite, I mean, this all goes back to the idea that we have a kind of a parliamentary system. Now, the NPR piece is interesting because it it gets into this notion that we have a, uh, first of all, let me get all these pictures. I printed this thing off. Had about a million pictures here. Um. It gets into the this mix of it gives you a little history and a little current politics. So this is why I want to focus on this because I, I think current politics dictates what's happening here with the State of the Union and how we should approach this thing. And again, the purist of me says, "Fine, just write a written message, hand it to Congress, and be on your way." But I'm going to tell you why I don't agree with that in 2019. Okay, so this is by Ron Elving published on January 19, 2019, our state of disunion, Trump-Pelosi spar over big speech. But why do we care? So you would you expect NPR to produce a piece like this uh, because they're shills for the left. I mean, it's it's quite clear. The MP, NPR, it, people talk about, you know, and not your taxpayer dollars at work here, right? So this is, this is one of the problems I have with the whole situation. Until this week, President Trump and several hundred million other Americans assumed he would be coming to the Capitol to give his State of the Union address this month. 
That annual update was based on 230 years of tradition, recently renewed by the invitation of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi D. California. Now, one thing I want to say about that, Pelosi invited Trump during the government shutdown, then disinvited Trump during the government shutdown. Trump responded, well, you've already invited me. I mean, you've said that you're not going to do it because of the government shutdown, but you already invited me during the shutdown. I mean, this is, you've lied about disinviting and when you invited me. So, I mean, this is true. Trump is 100% correct about that. But now Trump's address appears to be up in the air. Unlike Speaker Pelosi's scheduled trip to Afghanistan, which has been grounded in apparent retaliation by the president. And isn't that appropriate? Many of other many other federal functions are either grounded or up in the air, as we mark four weeks of the longest partial government shutdown in history. I mean, people, of course, are making fun of this because the government's not really shut down, still doing all kinds of things, still spending money, still taxing, still doing all these things. Government's not shut down. There are, there are 800,000 people who supposedly are non-essential, who aren't working right now. Pelosi says the annual State of the Union ritual is risky and inappropriate when so much of the federal government is shut down and many employees are working without pay. Trump says the same applies to overseas travel by members of Congress. And Trump backed that up by canceling his own administration's delegation to the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, grounding his Treasury Secretary, Secretary of State, Commerce Secretary, Commerce Secretary Trade Representative, and Deputy Chief of Staff. All this may be nothing more than the latest partisan volleying over the southern, volleying over the southern border wall Trump once funded in the shutdown. But it does raise the question of security as it pertains to the State of the Union speech, and that raises the question of the value of the speech itself. Remember, we are talking about crowding the president and the vice president and all the members of the cabinet, the Congress, and the Supreme Court into a single interior space, the House chamber. As a moment of vulnerability for the national leadership, this surpasses even the inauguration. That is why one cabinet member is kept away each year so as to maintain the chain of presidential succession. See Designated Survivor, Seasons 1 through 3. I mean, (laughs) it's so funny to me. First of all, an aside. Here we have a news story for NBR plugging an NBC television show that this is somehow, see this NBC television show with Kiefer Sutherland about Designated Survivor because that's historically accurate, people. This is where we are where we have NPR plugging television shows to prove their point. For the record, the Trump administration says all the usual Secret Service and Department of Homeland Security folks who would work the event are ready to serve this year as always. They're required to, in fact, even unpaid. Pelosi says these people should not be asked to do that under the circumstances, and she has a point. So just maybe a delay makes sense this time around. We had one in 1986 after the Space Shuttle Challenger blew up. Or just maybe having this annual shindig, just the way we have always had it, does not make sense anymore. There's a growing sense in America that the old ways of doing things do not always make sense anymore. That applies to the way we go shopping or to the movies or to go or go to school, all of which we can do now without going anywhere. So what about this thing, the State of the Union? Is it something everyone really has to physically attend, or is there just there is an adaptation available? Could this annual monster meetup near the National Mall well just go away? The president told supporters in a fundraising email Thursday that it was illegitimate for Pelosi to mess with the date and manner of his address to the nation. Other Republicans were also swift to say the event belongs to the people and not to the Democrats' boss lady, with the top Republican in the House suggesting Pelosi was playing politics. But would we miss the hour-plus of speechifying and unspontaneous ovations from one side of the aisle or the other? Would we, would we be the poor without those hours of pre-game and post-game punditry? To be sure, something would be lost if the one truly bipartisan, bicameral, multi-branch, and multi-everything confab of the year disappears from the nation's capital. 
But for roughly half of our history, this ritual did not require anyone to go anywhere. All right, so here's where he gets into the history. But I want to focus on this top part. He, he get, Elving goes into uh, Jefferson and Roosevelt and Wilson. And then um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to skip over the history because I just went over that. So I want to get into where he wraps up. The State of the Union itself has become a kind of electronic device and one of the most powerful in the president has. It's hard to imagine Trump was not looking forward to January 29th more than Pelosi was looking forward to nights in Afghanistan. Over the years, there must have been times when Capitol Hill leaders wished they could lift that powerful device deftly from the hands of the president and put it on a shelf. But even those speakers of the House, most at loggerheads with the president, have felt they had to issue the routine invitation and sit there and take it. To do otherwise would have been unthinkable. Until now. So what happens next? Some House Republicans got busy Thursday circulating a letter asking Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to host Trump in the Senate chamber this year. Checking the precedents, there may have been many presidents who addressed the Senate while in office, but not for a State of the Union or any other kind of joint session of the Senate and House together. Those are always, to the, those are always in the far larger and more commodious House chamber. Until now, perhaps, House Republican leaders have speculated that Another venue on the Hill might be found any time the President of the United States wishes to speak. And surely that's true. But does it make sense to do the speech at this time in any other place? Or does a change of venue sap too much of the tradition, glory, and grandeur? And as long as we're asking questions, let us return to the one posed a moment ago. Does it make sense to gather all these people at once the way we do, largely to project a false sense of unity? Perhaps the best answer is another question. Would we be better off with no national show of unity at all? So... Let me get into the political part of this, because this is exactly what Elving is addressing here. The political part of the State of the Union. This has become highly politicized. And my question is, would Elving have written this piece in 2013, when the general government went through a partial shutdown and Barack Obama was president? Say this government shutdown took place in January of 2013. Would Elving have penned a piece for NPR saying, we need to shelf the State of the Union address because, hey, some people aren't getting paid right now. We've got barricades up on sidewalks. You can't walk on this government sidewalk. You can't go to this memorial. It's shut down. Shut down. You can't do those things. I mean, that first of all, that stuff was so silly and stupid and everybody saw it. This is the Democrats now. The Democrats do these things. The Democrats are playing hardball. They're saying, yep, we don't want, we're not going to give you a border wall. So we're just not going to meet. We're just, we're just not going to do it. We're just not going to have you come in and talk to us. The Democrats are the party of obstruction. And they're the party with an agenda. They are the only party in Washington, D.C. that governs on their agenda. Okay, the Republicans don't do that. They're the grand old stupid party. I've already talked about the Republican Party on this podcast and how bad they actually are at governing and doing anything that uh, they say they're going to do. They're awful at it. So, that said, the Democrats are the only group that actually does what they say they're going to do. And Pelosi, of course, is tied into her constituent base here. And her constituents don't want to have Trump's border wall. Their constituents are pro-immigration to the United States, legal or, or illegal, both. They're, they're open immigration. This is their constituents, and this is what she's going to do. Now, not all Democrats side with this particular agenda. There are a lot of uh, Democrats who are saying now, they're cracking. We, you know, maybe we need to just do this thing. We've we got this shutdown going on five weeks. People are hurting. They're not getting their paychecks, et cetera, et cetera. And clearly Trump has gone to the table and said, I'll, I'll compromise with you on things. 
And so the Democrats, I think some are starting to get a little cold feet because they know, and particularly they know, that if Trump can get on television, if Trump can get in front of the American public and make his case and say, look, I've offered a, I've offered a compromise, the Senate's offered a compromise, the Democrats in the House are refusing to compromise. They won't even come to the negotiating table. How is this... Uh, how is this our fault that there's a government shutdown here? The Democrats. What he's going to do is place the, the burden of the shutdown back on the Democrats. And I think in some ways, he's going to be fairly successful at doing this, which is why Pelosi is scared to death of having Trump come and get on national television and talk about the government shutdown. This is clearly over politics. So my question is, would NPR have written this piece if the roles reversed? And we know they were reversed just a few years ago. Six years ago, we had a government shutdown. Well, that lasted for a couple of weeks. And Obama was writing a letter to the federal employees. Hey, this is all because the Republicans in House. I mean, they're not working with me. They refuse to work with me. It's all the Republicans' fault. And now we just flipped the script. And now Pelosi's saying it's all because the president in the White House, he's not working with me, Fuse, refuses to work with me. You see, the Democrats have the same agenda and the same message and the same messaging every single time. They have the same playbook. They do the same thing every single time. And that's because they believe it works. And, of course, polling data shows that right now people are blaming Trump for the shutdown. People are saying this is all Trump's fault. People are saying it's, it's all because of a border wall. Uh, and the Democrats, we don't want the border wall. So uh, we've got this whole political mess. So it, ordinarily, I would say that if Trump had come into to, to office in 2017 and said, look, I'm going to start re reinstitute the tradition of delivering the State of the Union address in writing to the Congress, and he had started it in 2018, last year, I would have been fine with Trump submitting a written message to Congress in 2019. But because of the current political circumstances, I think Trump should really agitate for, in some way, delivering a State of the Union address or an annual message uh, in person. Now, here's what he could do as a halfway house. Okay. Here's what he could do. He could issue the, the written message to Congress. He could write it out and say, okay, fine. I'm going to deliver this in writing to the Congress, to, to, to the House. Give it to the Congress. So he gives it to the Senate. He gives it to the House. This guy's saying that, well, it's unprecedented to deliver it to the Senate. Well, I mean, it says he shipped Congress. And the Senate, of course, is part of the Congress. So he could do this. He could deliver it in the Senate chamber if he wanted to. He could go there and read his message, if the Senate invited the president to do so. The House doesn't have to invite the president to do so. He, could, he doesn't meet in the House. The Supreme Court being in all that, all that other nonsense. I mean, that all that stuff could go away, and I agree with that 100%. So the president could do something else. He could deliver the written message, and then he could just go on television from the Oval Office and say, here, I'm going to deliver the State of the Union address to the American public. This is the exact same thing that I wrote to Congress. I'm going to read it to you now, live, and uh, that's it. It doesn't have to be before. I mean, all the stupid standing up and cheering, all that stuff is ridiculously stupid. The president in this particular case, I believe, though, needs to go on television, as per the tradition of the last 80 years, essentially, and uh, say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Almost the last century, the presidents have been going on the radio or television and delivering the State of the Union. So here's what I think needs to be done uh, and make his case for the compromise that he's offered and the other things. Okay, so 
at this particular point, because of politics, I think something like that needs to happen. Now, does it have to happen in the House? No. Does it have to happen in the Congress at all, in the Capitol building? No. It could happen somewhere else, and I think there is some discussion about this. The president could do this in a different way and deliver a written annual message to the Congress, and everyone would be happy. Now, my hope is, from that point forward, that we would have this become an annual tradition. The president delivers the written State of the Union address or the annual message to Congress, and then they go on some other time and they give some type of speech. It also says, of course, in Article 2, Section 3, the president can, uh, from time to time, that means they could do this more than once. They could give a biannual message. You could give a written message. You could give another message. Doesn't say, you know, and if this is for the people, this is how, you know, people are, well, this is for the people. It's the people's message as much as the Congress's message. Okay, well, then have a televised speech. If that's what you want to do, make your case for your particular position in the government shutdown. Uh, you'll, you, you won't have all the pomp and circumstance. You won't have all this stuff, which is great. We can get rid of that. Now, I joked, uh, Kevin Goodsman actually posted that he thinks that we should have the written message and go back to that and all that kind of stuff. And that, that's fine. I joked that, no, not in this circumstances. The president should just come in with the royal scepter, wearing a robe and a crown, and just go up there and really troll the Democrats and say, nope, we're doing this. I mean, if we've got an elected king, which we have now anyways, might as well go full king in this particular case and do it. Because we're not going back. I mean, the idea that somehow if we had this written State of the Union address... We would somehow be more Jeffersonian. We're not going back to that. Unless the president came in with a complete agenda to do it. And Trump is not that guy. Trump is an American monarchist. He is. Uh, and so we're, we, we've got the American monarchy. We're not going back because of this particular State of the Union being delivered in, in, uh, in written form. We wouldn't go back to it. The next one, if the Democrats are in office, or even if Trump, you know, the next one, Trump is going to be right back in front of the television again. We're not going back to that tradition. So this is a bad time to even be thinking about it. Now, again, if we had a president come in and say, I'm going to reinstitute the Jeffersonian tradition, I'm going to downgrade the office of the presidency, I'm going to make the president much more Republican, lowercase r, in form and function and ceremony, then I would be 100% for it. That would be great. Start a new tradition. Start a new precedent. But this is not going to start a tradition. So at this particular point in time, the president needs to go in and push for an annual message in front of the television cameras, in some way, even if it's not in the House, in some way that continues this process because of modern politics. Because it's disgusting that NPR would write this piece at this point uh, in a purely partisan way. They're trying to, Elving's trying to, you know, hide that. Well, you know, maybe it makes sense. Maybe blah, 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 blah. Uh, but that's not, I mean, look, the NPR wouldn't have written this piece had Trump not been the president. So somebody said on, and I posted this on, on Facebook, on social media, there was an immediate reaction. Well, it'd be nice if you were, if you, uh, because you're a smart guy, if you knew that uh, you shouldn't be playing, you shouldn't be a show for the Republican Party. Look, again, I'm on record bashing the Republican Party. They are the grand old stupid party. And uh, this is not pro-Trump right now. This is looking at the current political climate and saying, what do we have? What do we actually have? What is going on here? Uh, should we allow, I mean... Should, should one side or the other have complete dominance over the issue? In this particular case, I think it's clear the president needs to do this. Now, from here on out, if the president wants to say, look, we're going to go back to her, but, and all presidents will follow this precedent, I would, I'll be fine with that, but nobody's going to follow Trump. 
Uh, no Democrat is going to say, you know, I'm going to follow the Trump precedent here. They would be uh, completely run out of town on a rail if they said they're going to Trump follow Trump anything. So at this particular point in time, the State of the Union needs to go in in person, in one way or another, whether it's in the House or the Senate or just a nationally televised speech. Um, and uh, that would be that. I mean, that, that the the networks would pick it up. If you did it from the, from the Oval Office, the networks would still show it. And, of course, Pelosi and Schumer would get back on their single podium and they would probably have some type of... Re- Maybe they would get AOC to come on there. That would be... Look, if I could have... If I could design this thing the best, I would have Trump do this. He should just do it from Mar-a-Lago, right? He should just go out there and do it from his resort. <laughs> and uh, I remember... Never forget the first speech that he gave where he said, you know what, I'm really rich. I don't need... I'm, I'm rich. I'm doing this. He should just do it like that and just make a mockery of it. That would be better than trying to do the form. Well, we're going to go back to... No, no, just make a mockery of the whole thing because it's already mockery anyways. And then have the the idiot darling of the left, AOC, come out and give the rebuttal. Have her do it. Uh, I don't know, from her kitchen. Live stream it. That would be, that would be, I would think, the best thing ever because it would make a complete mockery of the entire process. So I'm all for that. Let's just have Trump go to Trump Tower or go to his resort uh, and uh, you know give the State of the Union and then talk about how really rich he is and then have AOC live stream it while she's, while she's cooking uh, in, in her kitchen and then have Elizabeth Warren come on drinking a beer, doing, uh, doing one from her kitchen too, uh, and we could have the entire mockery of the... I mean, it would be great. Now, that would be entertaining. If anyone wants my opinion on it, there we go. That's exactly what we should do. Um, it's it would be it would be fitting for modern American politics and the modern American executive and where where we are today. Uh, live stream it for the response and have Trump come from you know from one of his resorts. That would be the best situation for the State of the Union. It would be the complete mockery of what it already is, what the government has become, what American politics are, and where we should be going with this. So. There's my position on it. Um, the purist in me, yeah, let's do it written, but it's not going to continue. So if we've got the monarchy. Just we, we, something needs to happen here to make a mockery of the entire situation. All right. Well, I will see you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show. Don't forget, 29th, day of the State of the Union. I'll be live, okay, doing the Bledsoe book. So you want to catch me for that. And that'll be four weeks in a row. We'll do it Tuesday night. So you want to catch me for that and... You, of course, I'll be back Tuesday as well on a Brian McClanahan Show podcast. I'll see you then.